Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. For any parent, the happiness and well-being of their child is the most important thing in the world. Making sure they grow up to be kind and respectable members of society is one of the key goals of being a good mom or dad. And sometimes that means being the bad guy when a child wants to test the limits of their independence. Maybe they want to stay out past their curfew or try an illicit substance for the first time. Sure, it's important to let kids fail and learn, but there are certain occasions where allowing a child too much freedom can be dangerous, even deadly. Take Dee Dee, for example. Born Deirdre in 1953, Dee Dee was no stranger to luxury. Her parents were celebrities who were often out of the house, so she and her brother would hang around their Malibu mansion looking for ways to keep themselves busy. For Dee Dee, that meant drugs, quickly escalating to heroin and other harder substances, often pushed by her group of questionable friends. By the 1960s, teenage Dee Dee had firmly entrenched herself within the growing counterculture on the West Coast hanging out with free-loving, anti-establishment hippies, and using her family's money and fame to help them. Dee Dee was enthralled with her new group of friends, especially their leader, Charlie. She would introduce other people that she knew to him at his request so that he could gain access to the inner circles of their famous parents and maybe get a record deal. For Charlie, Dee Dee was a means to an end, and in order to get her to help him, he supplied her with drugs and a sense of family. He was a handsome manipulator who would find young women estranged from their parents and offer them a sense of family. He'd then isolate them and make them dependent on him for everything. In other words, he was their cult leader. But Dee Dee hadn't just found herself embedded within a group of countercultural misfits. She had inadvertently joined up with a man who would eventually get the fame that he craved, but not for his musical talents. He'd eventually be held responsible for instigating one of the most heinous crimes ever committed in American history. His name? Charles Manson. And Dee Dee was firmly within his clutches, thanks to the drugs that he was providing. In exchange, she would buy him food and clothes using her mother's credit cards. When Dee Dee's mother saw the state that she was in and the group of friends that she was hanging out with, she stepped in immediately. Dee Dee's mother was an actress, one who had starred in numerous films and plays starting in the 1940s. She was wildly successful and beloved on both the stage and the screen, but none of that meant half as much as the safety of her daughter. So in order to get her clean, Dee Dee's mother moved the whole family out of California and across the ocean to Ireland. They settled in County Cork, about 300 miles south of where Dee Dee's grandmother had been born. It was a fresh start for everyone, with Dee Dee's mother putting her own career on hold for over a year as she fought the addictions of both of her children. They eventually got clean thanks to the simple life that they'd led far from the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. Dee Dee's mother even learned how to garden and cook while she was there. After the children got sober and things calmed down, they all returned to California so that Dee Dee's mother could resume her career. And what a career it was. From the late 60s all the way until the early 2020s, Dee Dee's mother played everything from a murderous pie cook to a crime-solving mystery writer to a singing teapot. She was a versatile, comedic, and dramatic actress and beloved by fans all over the world. 
But her greatest role was that of mother to her children, especially when they needed her the most. Because of Angela Lansbury's commitment to her family, her daughter Deirdre Shaw was able to escape the clutches of a murderous cult leader named Charles Manson. Not exactly a tale as old as time, but a heck of a story nonetheless. Queen Elizabeth I's reign during the 16th century brought turmoil to the United Kingdom's Catholic community. The fear was that the Pope would try to usurp power from the crown, which wasn't entirely unfounded. Pope Pius V did exactly that when he excommunicated the Queen in 1570 and publicly denounced her. According to Pius, Queen Elizabeth was no longer in charge of anyone. But that wasn't really the case, and the Queen intended on proving it. So she began imprisoning and executing Catholics as well as Jesuits who supported them. However, one of the men she had arrested and incarcerated for the crime of being Catholic refused to bend to her will. He wouldn't give up his faith, and he demonstrated his loyalty to the Catholic Church in a very unique way. His name was Sir Thomas Tresham, and he was born in 1543 to a rich Catholic family. His father died when Thomas was only three years old, so he was raised by another Catholic family, the Throckmortons. He grew up to become an academic and an upstanding citizen with high-ranking connections. He studied at the finest schools and exchanged letters with the Queen's Secretary of State, William Cecil. In 1573, he served as High Sheriff of Northamptonshire, putting him in charge of law enforcement for the county. Two years later, he was knighted by the Queen. Tresham was also something of a bibliophile. He spent most of his life adding new books to his ever-expanding collection, and he read voraciously. But his keen political mind and his divisive opinions on states' rights also made him a target. He was often fined and even put in jail for his beliefs, as well as his connections to the Jesuits. The Queen was worried about a Catholic uprising, possibly involving her cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, and so she considered Sir Thomas a threat. Over the course of almost 25 years, Tresham was forced to pay roughly £8,000 in fines. That amounts to nearly £2 million today. And it was during this time that Sir Thomas got the idea to stick it to the crown in a not-so-subtle way. He began work on a construction project after spending 15 years locked up, in part for refusing to give up Catholicism for Protestantism. This structure was erected along the edge of his Rushton estate, about 90 miles north of London, as a testament to his unwavering faith. It was triangular in shape, with three 33-foot-long walls. Three sets of three windows adorned each wall, many triangular-shaped, while others were circular and carved around a cruciform. Each side also had three gables, each with their own gargoyle perched beneath that looked down on visitors from above. On top of each gable, Tresham placed an obelisk, giving the roof a crown-like shape, not unlike the crown of thorns worn by Jesus at his crucifixion. And just below the roof, around the perimeter of the building, were three separate Latin texts, each one no longer than 33 letters. And finally, inside the lodge, Tresham constructed a basement and two additional floors on top of it, making it a three-story building. Triangles, Christian iconography, and other religious nods were sculpted and placed all over the lodge, turning the building into one giant puzzle for theologians and scholars to solve later. It sounds like something out of a National Treasure sequel or a Dan Brown novel. However, one thing stands out above all else. The number three. 
Three walls at 33 feet long, three gables and three sets of three windows on each side, three internal floors, and bigger numbers that all had the number three at their root. But why? The Holy Trinity, of course. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The number 3509 and 3898 were engraved into the gables on the roof and were said to correspond to the years of creation and when Abraham was called by God to leave his home and travel to Canaan. Other years, such as 1580, denoted when Tresham officially converted to Catholicism, and he included future dates as well, such as 1626 and 1641, but not because he expected to live that long nor did he have any grand plans following his eventual death in 1605. It was believed that the numbers were significant for two reasons. First, they were each divisible by three. Second, when they had the number 1593 subtracted from them, the year that Tresham was released from prison, they totaled 33 and 48, respectively, numbers that were said to connect to the deaths of Jesus and his mother Mary. Tresham stayed devout his entire life despite the constant threats from Queen Elizabeth hanging over his head. And he saw no better way to rub his faith in her face than to build a monument to his pettiness. And I have to say, he sure did make his point. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious.